You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hockey fans, if you'd like a copy of my new book, Tales with TR, Fights, Film, and Folklore, head on over to flankerpress.com. If you'd like a personalized copy for $25 plus shipping, email me at terryryan2020 at gmail.com. That's terryryan2020 at gmail.com. McGregor versus Poirier 3 is all set for UFC 264. Every punch, kick, and knockout means so much more with the DraftKings lineup on the line. DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of UFC, is giving you a shot at huge cash prizes. For this weekend's fight, DraftKings is offering all customers a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. If you haven't tried it yet, Fantasy MMA is easy to play. Just pick six fighters, stay under the salary cap, and pile up points for advances, takedowns, and more. There's no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Plus, don't forget, hockey and basketball where DraftKings has even more money up for grabs throughout the week. DraftKings is safe and secure and reliable so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. It's the McGregor versus Poirier rubber match. Get in on all the action now. Download the DraftKings app and use promo code THPN for your shot at millions of dollars in total prizes throughout the week. That's promo code THPN to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome everybody. Tales with TR. I'm your host, Terry Ryan. Episode 59 for you. We got Brad Yetman, the latest hire on the Canadian Major Junior Circuit. As coach, I mean. Uh, Brad just got hired for the head coaching position in Rouen, Noranda for the Huskies in the Quebec Major Junior League. Good Newfoundlander and joins a select few. Maybe he'll know. I know there's been a few that coach Major Junior from, from The Rock, but not many. <clears throat> I wouldn't be able to tell you five. I, I'm trying to think of, yeah. Anyway, we'll ask Brad. Um, Habs Tampa. First game. Um, not a blowout, but the Habs weren't really in it at any point, but I still wouldn't write them off. I got my, my messages are flooded with messages about the Habs and, uh, one way or another, a lot of people hate them too. Right. Um, but I'll point out that I played in the Leafs organization. I was in 
St. John's for the Maple Leafs. So I did get to see what life is like from both sides of the coin. And, uh, you know, I love what the, what the Habs are doing, but some Leafs fans just get so upset, but you know, don't be upset at me for having a podcast <laughs> and talking about it a bit. Um, uh, the Habs caught fire. If you, if you're, Oh, going back to that. Yeah. So a, a lot of people ask why I didn't get called up to Toronto. Well, you know, I, even on a good day, I wouldn't be able to answer that. That's a question for somebody else. But in that particular situation, I wasn't owned by Toronto. I was on loan. I, uh, but it was the turn of the millennium way back the turn of the millennium when sticks were wood and uh, smartphones were unheard of. Um, but yeah, I, like I've often said, uh, I, my Habs were always my favorite team. It's still an honor to have played there. But in, during that particular year, yeah, I mean, I just had enough of Michelle Terry and I wanted to change the scenery. And uh, while that was happening, I was on loan to the St. John's Maple Leafs. So it was odd to see the world from both angles. But it's a similar angle because uh, in the hockey world, both teams have just such adoring fans and they treat you so well. And so, like, I have a place in my heart for both. I really do. I hate to be that guy that tries to play both sides of the fence every week. But... But that's the truth. I, I think I've always been like that. When I went to Toronto with the with, with the Maple Leafs, I kind of was hoping that, um, you know, I didn't I didn't want them to. Even though I grew up, I'm not going to say anti Leafs, but like every other Hab fan, pretty much anti Leafs. But uh, you know, I was going there and I was hoping they were going to be kind of cool and it would be a neat uh, situation and experience and it totally was and the team I played on we didn't make the playoffs the St. John's Maple Leafs that year I think it's the only year in professional hockey that I didn't make the playoffs but you know a lot of NHLers came from it uh, Sean Thornton two Stanley Cups uh, with two different teams it's hard to do man um, speaking of Pat Maroon might get his third uh, in a row but um who else? Kevin Adams, GM with Bob Buffalo now. He had a good good career. He was there. Nathan Dempsey, great player. Probably shouldn't have been in St. John's. He, he ended up getting up to the NHL, but Demmer that year was like 26 or 27 in my mind. Could easily have uh, played many more years in the NHL. God, who else did we have? Adam Mayer. Adam Mayer ended up play, having a decent career. Good grinder, good, a uh, little bit more than just a grinder, but Adam was a good player, good leader. There's some guys on my podcast I've had on, Aaron Brand, Donald McClain was there. He only got a few more NHL games, but what a sniper. If you haven't listened to that episode, listen, or just check him out on Hockey DB. One of those guys, he'd get like called up to the NHL and he'd score. And you'd say, like, what do they want you to do? Right? Like, get called up for like five games and score three goals. You're like, you know, what, what do you want? Like Harold Drukin, people ask me about, you know, the players from Newfoundland and the best and the worst. I mean, well, no one really asked me the worst, but you know, no one really thinks about Harold Drukin anymore when he's in that conversation. And I say to people like Drukes the year before the Sedins came, so I'm going way back, but I know they, they were, 
the big picks and then Druk. I think it was the same year. Drukes went 32nd or 33rd. Anyway, early in the second round, which probably would be a first rounder now. I guess there's 32 teams. But um, Drukes, um, he had a decent season going in the minors, and he got called up to Vancouver. And he only played 55 games, right? He had 15 goals. I mean, and you're a rookie. And you're not playing much. I mean, I, what, what, what are you expected to do? I, I just can't believe he didn't get back much after, you know, a few games here and there. But not only that, this is a true story. Harold Drukin, in the last game of the season, I'm in a rush, too. I don't have time to look this up. I know this happened. I, just, I can't remember what year. It was either 99-2000 or 2000-2001. Look it up. Um, the Canucks, if they win, they're in the playoffs. If they tie, they're not. So they needed that one point. So Drukes ties it up for Vancouver in Vancouver with like a minute left, maybe a minute and change. Look this up. Then in overtime, he scores the goal that puts them into the playoffs. Okay. So here's a rookie who missed 30 games. 30, a huge portion of the year. And he gets his 14th goal and 15th goal as the tire and winner in a must-win game, earning the owner lots of money and the fans a first-round berth into the playoffs and another uh, glimpse at uh, Stanley Cup contention. And Drukes will tell you the story. I Actually, I don't think he'd come out here and tell it, but yeah, Drukes ends up going, um, gets traded over to Carolina, plays a few games. He's kind of, I'm not going to say swept under the rug, but, you know, Vancouver, a Canadian team on wheels. Like I always think about when he scored that those goals, like the place was going bonkers. It must have been such a feeling. And then like a few months later, you're in Carolina, maybe on the team, maybe not. The team's fairly popular, but it's not Vancouver in Vancouver. And he's, you know, just kind of gets lost, gets traded over to Toronto. But at the time, right, he got traded to Toronto. But at the time, the Toronto Maple Leafs firm team was here in St. John's. And I know that St. John's sold a lot more tickets because he was here. Now, I'm not saying they, they traded just so they could have a strong minor league um, fan base. But it kind of seemed like that because Strooks gets traded over in St. John's as another bunch of points in the minors but i think he only played less than 10 games with the leaps i know i'm i'm not even looking at this but i know drukes and i know that for the most part i i might be off by a game or two but this this story's true um <clears throat> and drukes has done hockey within a few years a guy that gets again 15 goals as a rookie in almost half a, just over half a season. I, I don't know. I think that I often say, you know, I say, you know, too much. That's something I got to eliminate. You know, uh, you know, it's, it's a sign I think of an amateur podcaster or interviewer or, 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 or broadcaster. A lot of people do it though. A lot of people have big jobs do it. I just notice it. 
And whenever I go back and listen to myself on here, well, I can't do it. And that's the truth. <laughs> um, some people talk about being overly critical. It truly bothers me to go back and listen to this podcast because I guess now those traits probably help in the long run. Like when it comes to writing the book, I go over my, I, I, I have a chapter written. When I do my books, it takes me honestly inside of an hour or two. It's, it's almost like talking onto the paper. But then when I go back and reread, I'm not happy with the order. And then the, you know, a lot of the adjectives I don't like, or I'll notice that I use the same word over and over. And, and I do. I've got all kinds of writing flaws. I have to go back and, and go over it and then over it and over it and over it. And after the fourth or fifth time, it's done. But the initial process for me is easy because really it's just remembering stories that already happened, right? I might have to call a buddy or two. I always do that too, like to make sure that what I'm saying is accurate because I've been off. You remember something over like 20 years and you tell it enough um, I'm not saying I, I lied or anything. I'm, I'm just saying, um, say sometimes stories blend together. Like two things might have happened in one. I, I found when I was doing Jerry D's stand-up, I remember all these chirps guys would use. And I remember Bob Probert in front of our bench. And in one of my stories, I, he says, hey, hey, uh, Ryan, you, uh, my rum and coke gets more ice than you, right? Now, first of all, he was off the booze when he said it, but I don't remember which game. So I got it into my last shift story, but I really don't remember. I think it was that game. And then sometimes, but I, I know I can't call Bob Probert. God rest his soul. Uh, Dave Morissette was next to me on the bench. He couldn't remember, but I always try to do my homework. You know what I mean? So at least, you know, shit happened. I, I might be off by a day or an hour, give or take here and there. But anyway, that's what I try to do. How about this Euro Cup? I'm loving it. My favorite game without getting into all of it, because some people on here are anti-football or, or soccer. Um, I can't get used to saying football in North America, and I won't. So I'm going to call it soccer like it is in North America. If I was overseas, maybe I'd say football, but I mean, I'm running into these people downtown St. John's who never saw a football field in their life and never been to a game overseas or anything. And all of a sudden, did you see the football game yesterday? But what, which football game? You mean the soccer game? Anyway, whatever you want to call it. I think it's just it's so exciting. Um, and my favorite game was the Switzerland France game. By a landslide, France are up three one. Oh, God, Switzerland come back. They, they, they scored an offside goal, nearly tied it, and then they tie it with 10 seconds left. France hits the bar in overtime, and it goes into kicks. And uh, anyway, it's, it's so interesting and exciting to watch. A lot of the games, I don't even know the players, but I really, for people, a lot of people find soccer boring. Uh, I, I got to say, it's the opposite. When fans are there, especially, I think fans add to it for me. Um, actually, I know they do, but. I played soccer growing up and I didn't find it boring at all. It's different when you're playing, I guess. Um, but 
At least not these games. This is a bit of an exception, I suppose, because this tournament's had a lot of close games and there's lots of storylines going on. And as it's all happening team-wise, people like Ronaldo are setting records for the most goals ever in international play. And there's just a lot happening. Um, but what I love about it is the announcers ripping guys. You could never get away with that over here. And, and they they dig guys like I'm watching yesterday and they the announcer. I don't know the guys. I don't know uh, soccer well enough, but you know what I mean? The British announcers and the guy goes and number 14. And I cannot believe he decided to get out of bed today with a play like that. And I'm going, holy shit. And it goes on and on. Right. They're ripping people and should have used your left foot. What are you thinking? Um in their British accent. I mean, I got a bad one, so I'm not going to keep doing that. But you could never get... Can you imagine if, like, Austin Matthews hit the post and you said, like, what's that guy thinking? Or, uh, you know, in the Stanley Cup final, um, someone didn't back check and saying, you know, why the hell did he even fucking come to the rink today? Stay at home. <laughs> like, I just find it wild. And they do it almost every play. They're more cynical than they are... Uh, Praise, praiseful? No, Jesus, praiseful. Complimentary, I should say. They're more praiseful. They're, they're more cynical than they are complimentary. But I think it makes for great uh, entertainment, if nothing else. It's just fantastic. So... Uh, down to another thing. This is just a side note. I got a note made to myself, but because I think it's funny, I don't know if anybody else have, has ever done this, but I listen to my podcasts on Podbean. Okay. Sometimes Spotify, say Joe Rogan. I like that podcast, especially when he has a scientist on. I highly recommend David Sinclair. It's pretty recent, but it's this guy who talks about uh, anti aging and reverse aging and all that. And the health, you know, the things that you can do to have your body live on. And he's not so much trying to cure cancer or say diabetes as he is slow down the clock in aging. Cause that's why we get those things, right? You get older and older and your body can't fight them. Anyway, it's so interesting. And Joe Rogan gets this reputation. Like he's some gunslinging right wing nut. And I don't get it. I mean, he's really articulate. He has people from both sides of the fence on there. Real interesting. And he has lots of uh, guests that are scientists and, uh, oh, God, the, even the UFO stuff or the mushrooms. I joke about magic mushrooms, but there's something to, to it. And psilocybin is healthy in certain forms and doses. Well, there's one from last October, Brian Marescu, I think his name is. Check that one out. Anyway, but most that that's so Rogan only uses Spotify is my point. God, I ramble. Uh, so I will go to Spotify for some. But anyway, I use Pod, Podbean for most. And, uh, you know, I listen to Sportsnet, 31 Thoughts, uh, Overdrive, Carly, Carlo Koliakovo uh, and Michael Landsberg in the morning. like that one because it comes on so early. It's called First Up, but uh, comes on in Toronto. So we can, by the time, uh, we're an hour and a half ahead, but by the time I can, I'm grabbing lunch, I can listen to theirs. So I can kind of listen the same day. I enjoy that. I listen to First Take. I listen to... Oh, God. Uh, Rolling Stone podcast magazine there for the music. 
pretty much all day. But what I do, because I want, I speed up the process. So there's, there's a little, um, there's an, uh, my God, adjuster. Why am, why do I not know words? There's a, a, a dial, a dial, and you can turn it up and you can go like slower or right, you'll, it'll have one and you can turn it down to 0.5 or turn it up to like three, which is pretty much like here in Alvin and the Chipmunks. I mean, with speed. So I put it at 1.5, 1.4, 1. 1.5. It's a, if it's a real slow talker like Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, I'll throw it on 1.7. But that's a great podcast. Any history buffs, Dan Carlin. Uh, but I, I listened to it sped ahead. So and I do this every day. I'm listening to So I've only ever heard Overdrive or First Up, for example, on 1.5 speed. So yesterday, my phone reset or whatever happened. Whatever happened, I had to update it or whatever, and it went back to normal. And I'm driving down the street and listening to this. And I had people like... I mean, I know Carlo, so I mean, I was kind of aware that it was sped up when I was this, but it, but it kind of just started, I just forgot that I even put it on 1.5 after time. I'm talking about like two years of this, like of these podcasts. So I have a totally different perspective now. I listen to them in regular speed and it sounds like I'm listening to different people. The intros are different. The songs are different. It's wild. And even though it's funny because I get a lot of questions and, and emails about mental health and everything, even though I'm kind of getting more done because I can listen to it at 1.5. So for example, um, I don't know, like a 60 minute podcast would take me really about 40 minutes. So I'm saving myself. I don't, I'm not a mathematician. <laughs> and I, I, I could figure it out. It'd take me a second, but roughly, right? Roughly. So, I'm, I'm saving myself 20 minutes. For what, though, really? I mean, yes, I want to multitask, but, you know, for my next podcast, really, because I just go from this, because most of the day I either got my headphones on or I'm driving. My headphones with my bike. This this time of year, I'm usually on my bike, but I'm going around all day listening to podcasts. So it actually heightens my anxiety when I'm listening to it faster. I know this sounds crazy because I'm doing more and I'm a multitasker, and when I have things done it, and compartmentalized, it, it, it helps, you know, mentally organize, which, which would, you know, bring those anxiety levels down normally. But this is different than, I think, multitasking because I'm listening to this stuff and it's sped up. And it, it, it just feels um, more urgent or something. And, I, and I'm just listening to a podcast. So maybe that's a hint for some people, you know, sometimes sit down last night. I listened to first up later in the day. I came home with Penny Lane as I'm cooking her supper. I came downstairs. I turned all the lights off. I turned it on its regular speed and I got this like moon kind of thing. It's a uh, Penny Lane got it to me for me for Christmas a couple of years ago. It's like a replica of the moon, right? And it glows and you can put it wherever. So I got it on a stand. And was I ever relaxed? And I took in their information better. Uh, I absorbed it. Um, I'm, I'm doing like multitasking isn't just getting shit out of the way that needs to be done. Multitasking, I guess, could be relaxing, right? Because your brain needs that. 
So I never thought about that before. But if anybody does that, being speed up your podcasts and, and things like that, um, you know, rush through the day, uh, try to put 10 things into your calendar and, and schedule that day and wedge them all in. Maybe if you can step back a bit, I accidentally fell into that, but, but it certainly works. Uh, Brad Yetman coming up in two minutes, but listen, I got one more thing to say. If you're from Newfoundland uh, and a lot of you are that listen to this, especially of St. John's. Okay. Well, only St. John's Ken Mount road. Does it not seem like that's been under construction forever? I was in Starbucks the other day on Ken Mount coming out. Well, I was in that parking lot and uh, I, as I'm coming out, the guy's in there, right? And he's out. It's a nice day, but he's having his coffee and he's from the base. Somewhere. he says, well, yeah, I got to go back. I can hear him on the phone. And he's saying to his wife or whatever. Yeah, but you know, I'm on Ken Mount. So I got to go the other way and then spin around. And I looked at him. I said, isn't that wild that we've just accepted that? Like, I say the same. I'll say, oh, well, Penny Lane, I, I know I'm on Ken Mount, but I, I got to go the other way around. And meanwhile, Ken Mount's like two and three lanes, two ways. It sh it, it's a roadway. It should be exactly what we take. But I mean, never. It's always, always under construction to the point that it's just subconscious. Don't go to Ken Mount Road. Meanwhile, it goes straight down the middle of the city. It's supposed to be a huge roadway. And you go there and you're stuck for, I don't mean for two minutes, I mean for 40. It's like the deep abyss of mid-St. John's, purgatory, like the Bermuda Triangle. You go in, well, honey, I don't know. I might be back at fucking 8 o'clock tonight, but it's only 9 a.m. I know, but I'm on Kenmount Road. I don't know which way I'm going. All I can see is pylons and dirt and people, fucking cars. Oh, there's an overpass. Sorry, it's a mirage. There's the fog. Fuck, I, it's amazing. What are they doing? And then there's there's a road going through the middle of town. I mean, the one that connects. Again, I'm talking to you, St. John's Urs. How do St. John'sians? How do I not know that word? Townies. There, talking to you, townies. So, you know, there's a great little connector road, the Braggusier Highway. That now it takes me. I'm from Mount Pearl, bottom of Park Avenue. It takes me five minutes to get to the Avalon Mall. Right. But so that's a great. But, but the, the other section of that, we, we've just been numb to it. We forget it's there. It goes the other way over to Brookfield Road and it's just a hump of dirt. And I ride my bike downtown most days to work when I'm working down there. And I go over it and we've just come. We, we, we're, we're used to this, but it's been there for like 15 years. Like, are, like what's going on? It's right in the. So this is. They're, they're almost perpendicular to each other, the two roads I'm talking about. So one doesn't exist, but it's been like blasted out and, and a big pile of rocks for a decade or more. I mean, I really don't know. I'm numb to it now. And then it eventually runs into Chem Mount, which honestly, I, you just can't take. It's a road, but it's just there for effect. I, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's like those TVs at the store that just have like a sticker over them of, of fish in an aquarium or something. It's a TV, but it's not really doing what a TV does. Go to Ken Mount Road, which is a major roadway. Sorry. I know this is a road, but you're fucked. Like, and what do the businesses say? Like PJ Billington's and shit. That Merchant Tavern and, and Blue on Water and Gypsy and all those places downtown get to put up these uh, patios, which I love, by the way. 
which I absolutely love. I, I, I don't want that not to happen. I'm just saying if I'm a business owner of like Finn McCool's or something or PJ Billington's where like years and years and years, I can't make a left. I can't like it's out for me. I, I live in Mount Pearl. Um, five minutes from that mess, 10 minutes. And it's just in my mind, if anybody says, let's go eat. Kemmount Road is not even, like in my mind, it's not even there. It doesn't exist. You want to go to Montana? So are you serious? Why don't we just go to Clarenville? What are you talking about, Montana? That's on Kemmount Road, Mikey. Fuck that. Go anywhere. I'll eat fucking the, the donuts, stale donuts out of the garbage bin that Tim Hortons puts back there every day. At least I'll get food. Jeez, what are you nuts? Go to Kemmount Road, Montana's. When? Next week, what are we going to book the week off? Anyway, it's and I guess I'm shitting on the St. John's counselors. I'm sorry. Some of you are my buddies. And maybe, maybe there's a perfectly good, perfectly good reason for this. And maybe it's not your fault. Maybe it's the road crews that I, I, I don't know. I don't know how it all works. Although I am going to be running for council soon here at Mount Pearl. Lost last time, but hey, why not? It's 50 bucks. I'll enter and I nearly got in, though. It was... Six, six got in. I think I was seventh. So who knows? I'm going to give it a try. Uh, anyway, how about that segue? Brad, the Yeti Man Yetman coming right up. Okay, ladies and gents, been looking forward to this one. My next guest was an aspiring young hockey player that, like many of us, had some injury setbacks that got in the way of a long career. He didn't let that get him down, though, and proceeded to forge ahead coaching and scouting. Earning a master's in psychology degree in the process. He chipped away at a ball hockey career that saw him win four silver medals at the Canadian National Ball Hockey Championships alongside yours truly and was rewarded with a selection to Team Canada in 2016. Most recently, this focused, determined Newfoundlander became the latest hire in the head coaching circuit of Canadian major junior hockey with the Noranda Huskies. He is a charismatic coach, a scintillating silver medalist, a brilliant ball hockey player, an amazing athlete, a legendary leader, a fabulous friend. In his ball hockey days, he could play two ways. He was tall, not stocky when he played junior hockey. He likes Happy Days Fonz and lives in St. John's. He's not a goon and was my roomie in Saskatoon. We had a hell of a flight after a good Vancouver night. Ah, uh, ring goes the bell. He runs like a gazelle. If I had a Walkman on a plane, I'd call it a Jetman. Ladies and gents, get ready for my pal, Bradley Yetman. Brad, how the hell are you doing? Thanks, T.R. It's great to be on with you, big fan. You know, very happy for the success you had. And I want to start you off with a question, if I may. Oh, I love it. You're the first one to do it. Bring it on, Yeti man. All right. So obviously the provincial government came to an agreement with Disney yesterday will you be auditioning for a role in the live action remake of peter pan a thousand percent i will be I auditioning guess. okay i will and i'm in the i'm on the um i'm in the iatsi union which is uh like the crew for the for the most part it's 75 percent of the crew and um i'm hoping if i don't get on one way i'll get on the other but i am going to audition and i got i'm dying dying to let this out and i can't but i am going to be a character in a Canadian show. Uh, it's a pretty good one. Um, ben, I, I can't reveal much else, Yeti. And I, I'll maybe yeah. tell you uh, as we uh, 
talk about hockey and, and futures before we go back, because it's going to be shot close to where you're going to be in the, in the yes. Yes, yes. You might have mentioned one or two uh, little tidbits about it. And yeah, yeah. I can't wait. I just, I, you know, I'm so excited, but I don't think it's supposed to be public. So I, I don't want to announce it to <laughs> tens of thousands of people yet. <laughs> Although I just did. You can probably do the math. Uh, but anyway, um, I love that you started with a question. Now, get tell us, for those that don't know, I've mentioned you a few times in the preamble. I, I kind of talked about it, but you grew up. You're a hockey family, first of all. So you've got two brothers. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. I mean, so tell us about your brothers, Nathan and Mark, both awesome hockey players, both major junior grads, three brothers in one family. Uh, to just play major junior is one thing. Then to stay at it and to keep playing ball hockey and, and uh, to be such you guys are all still engulfed in the game and you know, your, your professional career has, has ended. So what was it like growing up? Did you guys challenge each other and do you still talk about hockey with your brothers? Oh, most definitely. I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun. And the, the running joke within the family was that Nathan, the youngest was a forward, myself, a defenseman and, and Mark being the goalie and dad was usually a coach in some way. And mom, part of some kind of management or volunteer. So we always talked about how we could start our own team. So it was always a running joke with that, but it was obviously a lot of fun to grow up, obviously, uh, you know, playing street hockey and, and going to different rinks. I'm sure for mom and dad, it was tough having to run to three different rinks around the same time of the day. So it was definitely tough with that, but, you know, to, for, for three of us to be able to have the chance to play major junior is incredible. And, you know, mom and dad weren't necessarily involved in hockey growing up themselves. So it's, it's definitely, uh, a huge testament to the sacrifices that they've made. And, you know, for us, we were extremely lucky. And I mean, now Nathan just finished up uh, last year getting a, a degree at the University of PEI after spending more time in AUS. And Mark is in the middle of, I guess, what you could call a prolific senior career. And for myself to transition to coaching, it's still a lot of fun to be involved in the different aspects of, of hockey. And of course, we're still facing eyes into it. So you know, it's definitely a lot of fun and you take a lot of things from hockey that you use in, in everyday kind of life and work and, and just anything. So, um, you know, that yourself for sure. So now it's definitely been a lot of fun and a ride that we're excited to continue going on. I, I used to laugh at your parents. Like there were so many tournaments, you guys are all top level too. It, and it's not like, it's not like someone was in Timbits or something hockey and the other one was playing uh, uh, Pee Wee Major. The other one had moved on. You guys are all coming up. You're just separated enough um, that it made it extremely challenging for your parents. And you're all on the all-star teams as well as everything else, as well as the hockey clinics. I used to just be blown away. And, you know, it's – I continue to, to say it. I think your family, because there was so much going on at the time – is kind of underrated around here. It's hard to say for three guys that everybody knows. I just, because that's a huge beat. Three Newfoundland brothers, all to play major junior hockey is real, real hard to do. Um, oh, Brad, when, so you're coming up and I know you eventually, you're like me. You, I mean, you had concussion issues, but at times, but you know, you, you were injury prone as well. I mean, I played mm -hmm. ball hockey oh, yeah, with you and time. saw you get three that would have knocked anybody out for their careers <laughs> right in front of me. And I mean, and it's it, the silliest little things, right? Going for a ball on the boards, not like, not like the, the, the two that I saw that snapped your knee off. 
Uh, oh, yeah, that was it wasn't wrong, yeah. really dirty or malicious, just wrong place, wrong time. And you go hard, though, right? You play hard. You're, you're probably going to get hit a little bit more. Oh, but had you planned on a long career in hockey or some people, Trevor Murphy's one I know that I know yeah. when Trevor was playing minor hockey, he knew he was going to be a coach at some point. Did you mm-hmm. know that or, or did it happen because, hey, I got these injuries now. I might as, might as well make the most of it. Well, actually, it's a it's it's kind of a mixture of a whole lot of different things. And then if you just throw in a full bag of uncertainty right on top of that, and and that's, that could probably sum up my playing and then transition to coaching because my, my first year major junior, like growing, growing up, I didn't have many injuries at all. And I still played the, the hard same kind of way. But once I started getting playing against older, older players and whatnot, the, the, the way I was playing, it was eventually going to lead to some injuries, not to the extent that, you know, like getting into a fight, the guy fall on top of me and I get a high ankle sprain. You know, like that kind of bad luck, but stupidity at the same time on my part. But my my first year, major junior, I mean, I played 90 to 95% of the games as a 16-year-old on a semi-rebuilding team. And I mean, I played a lot. And, and that's what uh, a lot of people don't kind of kind of realize that after that year, I – uh, had a good ranking for the draft the, the year after, and then I went to the under-18 camp for Team Canada. So my plan was 100% always growing up to be able to transition to have an NHL career. And I remember playing against you guys when you guys were still playing uh, professional. Like you had Chloe coming back and Teddy and Ryder was still around and and Danger Daniel. And, you know, the boys were still coming back around, Mark and Mike Lee, and all, all the boys were were full face and eyes into the hockey. So, I mean, playing up there and being a young guy against those guys and you guys, I should say, was just very like inspiring and kind of jaw dropping to think, well, you know, that's what I want and, you know, I'm pushing and, and striving to try to be able to get there. And once I had that first concussion, it was kind of like, okay, that's fine. I'll work past it, work past it. But then it was just like snowball effect of injury after injury, concussion after concussion. And then finally got to the point in which doctor told me I was done. And then it was like, all right, who the hell am I now? I have no idea and trying to figure it out from there. Uh, no, really interesting. And you know, that's what did me in was a high ankle sprain. A, a lot of people, because I had the concussions and they're so, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're almost so polarizing for a lot of people and, and, and they are so debilitating, but I had them. And I, I, I mean, knock on wood here when I say I overcame, cause it's your brain and you never yeah. really know. And I, but it was a high ankle sprain and it's, that's what I, and I, I, I didn't see it coming. I didn't, uh, Darian Hatcher actually in camp fell on my ankle. And then, and it's one of those things, Yeti, like, because I played through it for a bit. I'm like, there's something really off and this is bad, but I can kind of skate. And so I was training. I was, and, and I was just ripping the shit out of it. And I, I found out, I, I didn't realize that Yeti. We got a lot in common. Oh yeah, um, definitely. But I, you, you were from, from my point of view, I watched all you guys, everybody from your group. I thought that this guy right here has potential. There's a guy I played with you Western league fans out there in tri cities in two or three years in Tri-City, we had four or five first-round picks. One that you won't think of is Dan Fote. Now, Dan, same thing. He ended up all potential. He was on our team. We could tell he was pretty good. He got drafted 10th overall and just ended up the same thing, got some injuries. But he played a couple hundred games in the show, I think. Um, F-O-C-H-T. But that was it. And there was another guy, our buddy Mike Dyke. Dyke Dyker was 16, Diker, yeah. 17. He was a centerman. And I'd look because he's so tall. And if you're tall and you have any kind of smarts, especially for you, and Diker ended up, you know, going back 
being 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 a junior A legend and, and a senior hockey, and you go to all these Allen Cups and be top defenseman. But I think a little bit earlier, and ball uh, hockey too with Diker. Yeah, yeah, and and a great player, uh, great prodigy when he was coming up. But when you can see the ice like you guys can, and you're so tall and agile, I find it. I, you know, that's the kind of player that I would take a chance on every time. Did you play any other sports growing up? Oh, definitely. Mom, mom and dad were very adamant on that, that the summers, there was no hockey. Like, and, and that was, that was a big thing with it is, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, we have to make sure that, you know, nowadays there's so many, so many hockey players, young hockey players that are playing hockey 24 seven. And you don't necessarily develop any other sort of skills. So for us, it was always soccer. It was always soccer in, in the summertime. And then once you get into late July, early August, you get your couple of weeks of, of your sweat camps or whatever skills camps. And then uh, you get into your, your minor hockey teams. Now, of course, when we went major junior, then it was a lot different. But then we more so took time off yeah. versus playing yeah. other sports. But I mean, still for us, I mean, we, we were joking about it the other day that dad used to have this big uh, Chrysler Concord and the trunk was bigger than the car. And in the back of the trunk, there used to be baseball gloves, baseball bats, baseballs, football, soccer balls, uh, frisbees, hockey sticks, hockey pads, like you name a sport. And it was in the back of the car and wherever we went, we hauled it up like a big tickle trunk. And then next thing we we're out playing something different. I mean, tennis rackets that we used maybe once or twice, but it was there just in case, but uh, you know, you develop so many other skills and you get a appreciation for, for hockey when you play the other skills and realize, well, you know, I'm a lot better at the hockey, but you know, you, you really develop a, an appreciation for the sport you play by playing other sports. I totally agree. And the soccer, I loved it growing up too, man. And we would win. We, we won the Atlantics one year. We won the all Newfoundland a few times. I loved it. And I thought that that would be the way of kind of the future that I was going. Cause I was coming up, I'm, I'm Mount Pearl, you know, just had a bunch of guys and we, we most of us played ball, uh, baseball, soccer, and uh, I was going to say baseball. Yeah. Right. So we played it and there was, they were good in Mount Pearl because baseball would schedule on like Mondays and Wednesdays and then soccer would go to, it doesn't work like that anymore. Soccer would say, well, we'll take Tuesdays and Thursdays and they would work with all the different groups and kind of intertwine it. So we could all play all of it. And Jesus, the one year we won all three. And the provincials, he had a good, good group growing up, but I could never, I could That's see baseball. It, yeah. And, and I mean, I, I don't know how you can't draw, make a line, a direct correlation between soccer and, and hockey. I mean, baseball, they might say no, but it's still a sport. You still get, a, you know, there's focus. There's, you know, even just watching the ball come in hand. eye. I think there's lots of parallels, but soccer, is up. I mean, you're talking. You got to see. You got to pass it. You're shooting on a net. You're, you're using your quads a lot. Like your, your your agility. The more agile you are on the field, you're going to have to become that if you're a skater already on the ice. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't draw the connection. And I really always found that wild because most even look at Alex Newhook. Look at all the the great Crosby. All these guys played the other sports. Most played soccer. Oh, you know, you, you it's yeah. obvious to me, and it's certainly I used to love it. Now, if if I had downtime when I was a kid, I didn't love that. But I love looking forward to the hockey and the baseball. And it was it was or soccer and baseball and whatever else, you know, I mean, geez, there was a dodgeball. We'll do it. Yeah, it's exactly. Sports that I registered for. So tell us about the masters in psychology, because this snuck up on me. I used to see you going in and out of Mun. 
And, you know, we'd be going to play ball hockey. You'd take some books with you. I knew that you were in there doing psychology, but until you just mentioned it right before we, we, we went on air, I forgot that. So wh- why psychology and getting the master's must have been hard, given that you're into so many things. Yeah, oh, definitely. Like uh, at, at the time of doing my master's, I would work from about nine, nine to 12. I'd work at the counseling center over at Mon, and, and dad used to work over in kind of administration and kind of right-hand man over to the director over in the uh, student wellness counseling center at Mon. And I eventually started working some student jobs in there. Next, next thing I went to some research assistant jobs and really getting a good experience and seeing the psychological and counseling side of things through in there. So I used to work nine to 12. Then I used to go to class about 12 to three 30. And then I would beat it out to the ghouls for midget practice or under 18 Newfoundland. It used to be called major midget, but now it's Newfoundland under 18 hockey league, go out there for practice at four 30, do that, and then go do homework. And it was continuous, almost continuous cycle like that. So, I mean, we, we talked about it a little bit earlier, just about that transition and not knowing what you're doing in life. And I went through like, three, four-ish kind of years and mixture of semesters and they're kind of picking and prodding at different things and not entirely sure. End up seeing the light of kind of psychology degree, got that. And then I knew that with my coaching experience, my playing experience, and now getting the psychology side of things that I would either go sports psychology aspect or I would use the masters in my coaching. And that was ultimately the way it worked out. It worked out unbelievably that uh, as soon as I graduated with my master's in the summer of 2018, I believe it is, if I do the math right. No, summer 2019. And uh, Mario Pouliot, who was head coach and GM in Rouen, sent me a message just almost like instantaneously, just asking if I'd be interested in interviewing and got the job. But that was definitely the plan once I got into my master's program is that I wanted to be able to use it for coaching or something in sports because it's such an important aspect for today. Like there's there's so much emphasis placed on it, the the mental well-being of not just the, the player, but the person. I mean, that's that's ultimately at the end of the day, like we constantly talk about is that we're not coaching hockey players, we're coaching people. I mean, you got to, you got to recognize that as, as coaches, as teachers, that that's the biggest thing. So for me, I always wanted to use it for, for coaching. And it's a big aspect as to why I, I was lucky enough to get the job now is that uh, the master's education component, the, the ownership side, they, they like having that kind of person in charge and was fortunate enough to get the job. I, when it comes to mental health in sports, I, I can't stress enough how I've gone from thinking it wasn't a big thing to thinking it's just huge. So a lot of people can skate. A lot of people can have skills. It hit me, Eddie, when I left. And every year I had some great experiences. Great. I go to Quinnell, BC without the Internet or anything, the globalization of all that. And I just remember, you know, and, and it was, you know, I succeeded in all that. Went to Tri-Cities. All those great memories you hear about. But... No one talks about like every player's from somewhere different, even if they're from the same city and they got a different background and they're lonely. And, and I, you know, that's just one thing. And, and then if, if, if hockey goes, maybe you get a bad billet. No one ever brings that up. That's hard on your head, right? Maybe the, the billet smokes and you don't want to say anything or they got cats and you're allergic maybe, or maybe they let you party, right? That all often happens. And, and, you know, there was a big separation when I was coming up between the coach and the, 
I mean, I know they know the billets, but between the players' communication with coaches and with now they have whole wings of teams hired, like sports psychologists. I was kind of just starting, but I've often wondered. I'm glad it's getting to a point, but why people don't stress that? You're talking to these players in major junior, especially that you know just are are one or two years removed, sometimes two months removed from being a little boy, like you know playing Nintendo. You know, and, and it's 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 just a huge transition. And had I not to keep rambling, but I, I'm just really interested. And if I was 20 years old and I had my time back to just go into school and I mean, I went through and got a degree. I'm glad I saw how it worked. Folklore degree is not going to get me much, but it did going through the arts. It, I think it made me a better person, if nothing else, a more a more tolerant, open minded person. But psychology is where it's at. And I I, I figured that that was a big part of your coaching. Um, your first yeah, and, team. and sorry, just like, just to kind of jump on that, because obviously like for yourself, I mean, you talk about the transition aspect, like you, you always thought about being a professional hockey player, but no, no one ever talked about what are you going to do after? It's yeah. like, we were going to be professional hockey players until we're 80 years old and <laughs> on our yeah. deathbed. Yeah. Right. But right. that's, that's the, that's the thing. Like no one ever talked about what are you going to do after, you know, like, What's, what's your backup plan? What's, what's this? What's that? I mean, we always went to school because, you know, it was the thing to do, but you know, one guy I look, look at now and uh, I, I just could be a, a plug, I guess, but um, I really like what he's doing is Steven Johns. I don't know if he's yeah. former yeah. pro guy, he's transitioned now and he came out uh, on his social media a couple weeks ago at this point now talking about the depression and anxiety he's gone through with his transition out of pro sports yeah. and he's rollerblading across saw that the U S yeah. Mental miles it's called. So highly, highly, you know, uh, suggest people check that out because, you know, that's, that's a big thing is that, you know, I know what the, the Canadian Olympics that they help their athletes transition into kind of everyday life, I guess you could say, but you know, what about professional sports? Are those kind of services out there? And I'm sure they are in one way or another, and it's more on the individual person to do that. But, you know, it's such an identity crisis when, when your sport is done and you're trying to figure out who the hell am I, you know, it's, it's like Zoolander when he's looking in the little puddle of water, trying to figure out who he is after Hansel wins. It's just like, what's, what's going on? And from there, it's just like, what's, what's happening? I, lo I, lo I love that analogy. Uh, and as long as you're going to mention that, there's another guy, and um, I've been on his podcast, and I'm going to have him soon. His name is Brady Leovold, and he does a thing, Mental Health Pucks, Puck Support, I think it's called. Um, Puck Support, Mental Health Hockey. And Brady, check him out, folks, on Twitter. He's got a podcast called Hockey to Hell, I think. Hockey to Hell and Back. Um, and he's rollerblading across Canada and I'm going to do Newfoundland with them. That's a year away, but he called the other day, reached out. So I figured I'd mention that. Okay. So your first two years in Rouen, how, how has that gone? I mean, it, I'm asking from the point of view that as, as a coach getting used to the team, the systems and the overall feel of the league from a different angle, uh, I guess on top of that, it's a pandemic. So it would have been, backwards for everybody yeah. so you know comment a little bit on the last couple of years i guess yeah absolutely i mean it's been an incredible learning curve and i was very fortunate when i first came to the team that they were fresh off of winning the president's cup and memorial cup and the head coach and gm was uh, an assistant coach for me when i played in rouen so there was a familiarity there 
obviously playing in Rouen, there's a familiarity there. It's the same kind of ownership. So familiarity there. So that's definitely a huge thing, but they, they already had an incredible system and structure in place. So for me, didn't need to come in and reinvent the wheel. Just had to find my, my place within the, within the organization, within my role and just excel at that. And I was very lucky that, uh, that uh, Mario gave me a, a ton of responsibility. He, he let me run with a lot of different things and let me uh, do a lot of meetings, a lot of team meetings. So I, I gained that valuable experience right off the hop. And, you know, for me, it was, it was definitely a, an incredible opportunity, one that I know I wouldn't be able to get anywhere else. So very, very grateful and thankful for that. And this year, uh, well, last year, even like the, the running joke is that dad, dad came up to actually watch a couple of our final games, not this season, last season, right. And the morning he came up, went to pick him up from the airport, brought him to the rink. And then uh, all the coaches were just like, uh, haven't you heard? It's like, well, no, I just got back from the airport. Why? What's on the go? It's like, apparently this, this coronavirus is going to shut us down for two weeks. So we got to go home for two weeks and come back after. And then, of course, <laughs> year, year and a half later, yeah. it's like, here we are. But, of course, you know, it was, it was fun to be able to head out then for the weekend with, with Dad and be able to show him around Rouen and, of course, uh, you know, have a, have a couple of fun nights and whatnot. And of course, everyone back here was, was joking around with dad saying about leave it to him to come up and shut the league down. So, you know, it was, it was funny in that regard, but you know, this year was just a constant battle between, uh, you know, mass. We had to fill out a daily questionnaire. If a guy didn't fill it out, we had to find him because it's so important with the league and with the bubbles, staying within the bubble and people don't, you know, yeah, of course, we're, we're extremely grateful to have been able to play games this year. I mean, don't don't get me wrong, but it was just extremely challenging, especially for 16 year old kids. First first year away from home. I mean, having to live in that bubble kind of life, not technically able to go out around the city. You have to go from the rink to your billet, billet to the rink. We had to do school at the rink. So it, it was very challenging, but one that brought the players closer together and one that brought us as coaching staffs closer together. And, and one that we're able to learn and grow through. And, and that's a big thing. And in Rouen, we always talk about how big of a family we are on and off the ice. And, and that just shown through this year. And, and we were very fortunate for that. And it helped that kind of learning curve for a lot of the players new into the league. But yeah, def, definitely a challenge. Definitely looking forward to having some fans in the stands next year and getting back to some sort of normalcy. My under 18, under 17 world championships was in Rouen, Miranda, and Amos. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. You meant, yeah. So, no, that's, I found, it's a different yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, and, and it was, um, it was interesting because my dad is fluent. My dad's a French teacher. Mm-hmm. And even now, I mean, I, I took the three courses at Mon. I did well in them. I, I, I can read, if, if you show me a paragraph, I can tell you what it says, but it's really hard for me to yeah. speak. And I found he had a completely different experience at those, worlds than I did. I felt alienated. I'm sitting there. I'm, I'm trying to explain myself a little bit funny here and there, but I can't even really order a coffee at the time. And dad is, you know him, he's going in, right? He's having his coffee or oh, right yes, after yeah. the game, he's <laughs> having a beer with everybody. It's like Bill Murray and what about Bob when they, they go in and they <laughs> see how he's doing in the, in the, um, I don't know, you know, he's in, t- they send him in for therapy and he ends up wooing all the, uh, workers 
is kind of like that. Like seniors sit there with a beer and all these people that I didn't even, I was just passing them every day going, bonjour. You know, that's all I had to say. And they're like laughing at the punchlines and he's just telling stories all night. And it was a completely different experience. But you are bilingual. Um, and how did that come to be? Did you take it in school? And when you went up there, did you force yourself, you know, okay, I'm just going to immerse myself. It's one thing to know it a little bit. But when you're communicating, because, I mean, a lot of them know English, are you speaking in French? Uh, well, it, so to kind of start on it, uh, just the way in which I got into French myself. So me, me, Nathan and Mark, so we used to go to St. Bon, St. Bonaventure's College. And I went there um, too. Yeah. Well, there you go. See, something, rink, something rink in the school, Yeti. Rink in yeah. the school. Why go anywhere else? How, right. It's how could you not? For those that I don't know. know, you can go on now. Twitter has a handle. It says St. Bon's Forum, third oldest in North America. I, I don't. It's, it certainly looks like the oldest. It looks like it was built 400 years ago. But anyway, it's a, a little tiny. Yeah. But it's, it's attached to the school. Pure grit, and there's just banners everywhere. Yeah, there's banners everywhere. Like it's it's an, an incredible little rink. Like people don't realize that you, you could drive through the parking lot of the school and not even realize that you pass a rink. Yeah, yeah, and like it's, it's real. It's, like it, it's, it's it's so low to the ground too. It's just and it's tiny. It's like in a you know what what would you think three quarters of a regular rink not even oh yeah like it's it's more like uh you, you see in quebec a lot of these days that in these big rinks that they're building they're building these kind of three on three pads and that would yeah. kind of be what it that's is. what it is well we only play three on three or, or four on four at the best of times oh you have to you yeah. have to i mean it's like uh, going to play ball hockey up to north point i mean you're taking slap shots from your own net and and we're going in. Yeah, it's, it's a possibility. You got to be on your toes. Yeah. So yeah, you guys yeah, all exactly. went there. I had no idea you went there, man. Here you go, alumni. St. Bon St. Bonaventure. Yes, yeah, yeah. So we we went um before when it was was yeah, when it was the, the Catholic school and then they closed in, then it was privatized, and then we went uh then we went there after uh, it was private as well. So we we went and then uh mom and dad decided it was it was time for a little bit of a change and Mark went to Gonzaga and, and Nathan went to, uh, well, St. Paul's 10th, uh, Rennie's river, Rennie's yeah. river, I think it's called actually. And, um, for, for me, I was just starting junior high, but it was so late in the year that, um, the only school I could kind of get into at that point was brother rice, but I had to go into late French immersion program, but I was very, very iffy on it because I, I didn't know, French. I mean, you could have told me Ola and I would have thought it was French at that point. Yeah. But dad, dad was the one who really, he didn't force me by no means, but he made me see the side of things that, you know, my plan was to play major junior hockey in a few years that maybe it could come in handy. And oh that God, having, what great advice. Yeah. And that, uh, and that having a second language is always, no matter what you do in life is always going to be a plus. So I said, well, all right, I'll give it a go. And lucky enough, it was the late French immersion program. And for those of you who don't know, early French immersion is pretty much when you start in kindergarten and you do it all the way up through. And late French is just kind of the newbies, we'll, we'll say. So when I went in, you know, we did math and French. We did science and French. You know, pretty much the only course we didn't do in French was English. Naturally. Wow. <laughs> and... Um, from there, yeah, I did seven, eight, nine at Brother Rice and late French immersion, then transitioned to Gonzaga, grade 10, did late French immersion there as well, and then went to Shawinigan, Quebec, my first year major junior, and of course, you're immersed in French there and spent three years in a French environment in major junior, and now 
going into my third year in a, in a French environment again. So it, it came in handy big time. And, and to speak to your, to your other point about communicating with players, I mean, for, for us, everything is done in English on a team level. So practices are English, video sessions are English, uh, team meetings are English, because ultimately we're trying to prepare the players for the next level, because obviously everything professionally is, is in English. So that's a big thing. But the biggest thing is that players know on an individual basis that I am fluent in French, that I can explain things to them so that they know to come and talk or in a one-on-one -on -one basis in a one-on-one -on -one meeting, I'll speak French to the guy. If I know for sure that he's much more comfortable in French or that I'll speak to him in French and he'll speak to me in English and we'll just have a good joke about making each other better in, in the languages. So it's, it's definitely a good uh, relationship builder, especially when I make mistakes because You know, you have to be vulnerable as a coach to make mistakes or to let the players know you personally. And, and for me, I'll make mistakes all the time. Like when, when I would do a couple of uh, after game kind of press conferences, I would ask the social media guy to be right behind the camera. And if I didn't know a word, I would look to him and he'd give me a nod and I'd say, okay, yes, that word. You know, because you, you want to learn, you want to be vulnerable that it's, it's not my first language, but that I'm making the effort to, to speak it. So Definitely, definitely came in handy. And it's, uh, you know, definitely something I'm very grateful to have. And, and again, it's another thing that if, if I, if I don't have that French, if dad didn't say to me in brother rice lobby, how, whatever year that was that, Hey, you should really do this, this is a great opportunity. Then I wouldn't be the head coach of the Huskies right now. And, and that's, that's a big thing. Yeah. I mean, just funny the way things work out. And when, um, I've just been in some positions and I've seen people and timing is huge, but luck is part of it. You got to get the bounces. But uh, I think, I think for the most part you create it. And, and some things are lucky. Of course, if I walk down the street and I step on a hundred dollar bill, wow, wow, that's pretty <laughs> lucky. But you know, you, you, you were faced with a second set of circumstances. You know, you're like me, you're coming up, you're a prodigy. You're, you're, you're being looked at to go in the NHL draft. So your whole priorities in your head, you're thinking exactly. You're, you're never, you're, You're going to be a hockey player till you're 80, like you said, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, you were you were given this, you know, what did you do? You went and got your degree. You got it in, in psychology of all things. You kept playing sports. You kept being involved. You couldn't play hockey much anymore. But ball hockey, to the point that you played on Team Canada, it just seems like whatever you immerse yourself in, and maybe that's because, you know, you 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 do your best. And maybe that's because, A, you're, you're a determined athlete, but, B, I bet you that psychology degree helped you in more ways than one. Yes, you can teach it, but was there any self-reflection as you were doing it? Did you learn anything about yourself doing psychology? Oh, 100%. Well, one, 100%. And, you know, the, 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 big, the big cliche is that, uh, you know, when, when you think about when you're giving advice to people, it's like, well, I, I can't even take my own advice of what I'm saying to people, you know, and that's the biggest thing. But In doing these courses, like in, in some classes, they, they, they force you to become self-aware and they force you to kind of ask yourself those, those kind of questions. And that's a big thing actually that trying to instill upon the players and, and the people who we're coaching now is, is that self-awareness, that honesty, that, you know, controlling that voice in your head, because ultimately at the end of the day, that that's the voice that's going to dictate whether you do something well not well, whether you give it a hundred percent or not, and whether you're being honest about your full effort, because, you know, a lot of guys and, and girls think that they're given a hundred percent, 
but really they might only be given 60. And then soon enough, that 60% becomes their new 100. And they're not self-aware enough to realize that they still have an extra 40 to give. And that's a lot of math right now. And the numbers. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure you can see where I'm going with it. But of course, you know, the big thing with it and, and, you know, you come back to that identity kind of crisis that we had, because I, even during psychology, I, I still didn't know I wanted to do that. I was still hung up on, on the kind of status of not, or the lack of status of being a hockey player. And let's, let's call it what it is. I mean, for, for me, status of being a hockey player is, is, is phenomenal or being involved in hockey is, is phenomenal. I mean, hockey is the greatest sport in the world. And when people say they don't like status, it's, you know, you, you play the greatest sport in the world. I mean, there's, there's, and maybe status is not the right word, maybe connection, maybe like a connection to the sport. And, you know, it's so hard when you lose that because it's just like, ah, you know, you had that competitive edge. You want to just get back on the ice. You want to rock a few bodies and you want to, you know, feel alive. You know, I, I think about our Tuesday and Thursdays afternoon over at the old tin can and, you know, just, yeah. just a game of shinny, but man, the guys were going hard because they knew like that competitiveness and, you know, I always remember with you, if, if you scored a late goal right at the buzzer, you just skate right off the ice. Just see you later. All right, boys, we'll see you in the dressing room. I love doing that. But, you know, it's, it's, it's just that, you know, if if players say it's it's not about status, it's not about this and that, it's it's you can word it more as connection because that connection to the sport of hockey is just incredible. It's, it's so deep and it's, you know, so anyways, that's that's kind of where I was going with that is is that when when I lost that connection, just you just don't know who you are. Yeah. You, you just feel like you lost a part of yourself and you're trying so hard to either bring in little tiny pieces to make up for that big hole, or you're trying to find that big piece to, to fit that missing piece. But it, it's just incredibly tough. And for me, I, you know, I, I struggled heavily. I, I, I struggled heavily and, you know, I went through a, a battle with depression and anxiety and, and some substance uh, for a while to try to, to try to fill that hole. And obviously it was a negative way of dealing with things and something that I, I got help with previously. And, you know, that's, that's a, that's a big thing for me. And, and in doing psychology, I, I recognized that my self-awareness came from taking those, what I thought were negative, like life, uh, defining moments and turning them into experience, turning them into education that I can empathize with people who are in those situations, or I can properly listen and communicate with people who are in those situations versus thinking to myself, Oh my God, what, what was I doing back then? Oh, you know, those kind of things, but just using it in a positive way, saying that this is who I am now. I use that experience. I use that education now to, to further help myself, to push myself, further away from that place, but to also help people who might be drifting towards that place or who are in that place to know that you are able to get out of it and that there are positive ways to get past it. And you just, you just really find what means a lot to you. And, and that certainly helps help me big time. You mentioned status. No, I, I, I don't think that's the wrong word. I think so many things are divided now, like with political correctness um, and yeah. some for, for better, or for worse. But status to me, you know, you're involved in the sport like everybody's a fan. Most fans, 90 percent of hockey fans in Canada would love to play for the Maple Leafs instead of watching them or the Montreal Canadiens <laughs> or whoever it is, Vancouver, wherever you, wherever you are. Oh, absolutely. Um, but so to me status is a result of the goals that you set for yourself. And I've never, I know what you mean though, because sometimes it, it's got this elitist kind of ring to it, but mm -hmm. it's just another way of saying, you know, that you, I want my goal. 
you, your status in school ended up being a master's in psychology. You were yeah. in. You could have just gotten an arts degree. You said, you know what? I'm going to look forward and I'm going to do. And, and, you know, your status now is that is one of a master's holder. So I think status and, and the the drive to be there and the will to, to get yourself there is just another way to explain, uh, you know, someone that follows through on their goals and dreams. And when they get there, you're not saying you're looking down at anybody. You're not being condescending, but you're the coach now of the Randa Huskies and you got there and you're a huge hockey fan. We're all fans more than anything. So, you know, I'm so proud to say that I played on the Montreal Canadians, if only for 15 minutes, but you know, it's status. It really is. And I'm proud of that. And I don't use it, you know, to, to kind of look down <laughs> and, and, and be condescending to anybody, of course, but I think what you're doing in the sport and given the options that are to you in life, you know, you've got these, ball hockey stories on a national and a world level. You're a coach now in one of, well, the best league for its age in the world being the Canadian hockey league. And, uh, you're a young guy and the, the sky's the limit. So, uh, I think it's great. I got a question for you. Yeah. Um, speaking of status and kids, goals and dreams, how are they going to accurately pick guys for the NHL draft this year? I, I, you know, there's so much. I'm an example. I don't know where I was rated. I played major junior in a solid season when I was 16. So I'm guessing looking back, I was, I know I was rated. I, I remember that, but at the start of the year, I don't know, third round. I can't really remember, but I tore it up that year. It was my draft year. If my draft year had been last year, I don't know that anybody would have really known it. Or, or I'll give you a better, more recent example. Um, Dawson Mercer. Yeah. You know, going into his, he overcame all odds and made team Canada. I had a new hook, mm-hmm. you know, two years ago and yeah. ends up going in the first round to the devils, this big story. And I'm sure Dawson, I mean, I watched him play. It was phenomenal. I watched him all. And I saw where he was rated, but it was not where he ended up going. He was a first round pick. I'm not saying he snuck in, but that year really helped him. So you must see it as a coach. I do as a scout. I, I look, I watch all kinds of games online. Uh, a lot of the Newfoundlanders that go away. I want to see how they're doing. From major juniors, one thing, the NHL draft. Uh, other kid, Alex Power, I think is a great kid. Went out to Alberta League, couldn't really get off the ground, played four or five games. You know, they're just a couple of examples. Are there going to be lots of guys you think that got missed and girls now that there's girls in major junior? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at the uh, the Women's Hockey League had their draft last last night, I think it was. So, um you know, it, it's, it had to be tough for them as well. I mean, some of their college programs played games, but some, some didn't. Yeah. So it, it's definitely, it's definitely tough. And, and the big thing with it is ultimately every team, every team in a normal draft anyways, has their own list, has their own list and they, they go by their list. Yeah. Of course there's the, the central scouting who put the, who put the players in what they feel is a good order and things like that. But especially for this year, like, I remember going through the list, the, the central scouting list, and looking and seeing, okay, well, you know what? There's this guy who's ranked in the fifth round, but our guys have him top 10 on their list. Yeah. You know, just like things like that. And 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 that that's just the nature of the game anyways. Yeah, of course, it's tough because what's going to happen this year that you're going to see a lot for a major junior is that you're not going to see a lot of 16-year-olds. That's that first year of eligibility player because a lot of those players didn't even get a year of, of midget AAA or under 18 AAA because they only play Bantam 
And then they missed out on their first year of under 18. And then it's going to be beyond tough to go from Bantam year off to major junior. Oh man. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I you're mean, going to see a lot of uh, learning curves right in front of your face. Like it's going to be. Oh, absolutely. Um, and the one thing I think that this, the timing of this might be advantageous. If, if let's just say less of a crutch, it's certainly nobody's advantage, but having the internet and having so much scouting that a lot of players probably were already on the radar where back before that being 15, 20 years ago, I don't know that there would have been as much information out there. I remember like, you know, going to the under 17 and, and people saying, Oh, look, there's Shane Willis or Jerome McGinley. Okay. Well, you know, but whereas now everybody would know Jerome McGinley when he was 13, you know? So, mm-hmm. So, no, exactly. And, and, you know, they did out in Calgary, wherever I think Jerome's from, um, was on my team back then. Not a big deal. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> just things like that. I remember. Like, you're, wait, not, wait. you're not a guy to name drop, right? Yeah, of course. I'm not going to name drop. <laughs> um, of course. <laughs> Where did he? I can't remember. He went. Which, which, oh, yeah. Actually, he went my draft. 11. I went eighth. Um, no. Oh, there you go again. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I find it all interesting. And I think this. If you're a, 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 a an organization out there in the NHL that's looking for coaches or scouts from major junior, I think the next year or two is going to be telling because, oh, like you time. said, a lot of you as a you're watching every day and you're seeing people and people that work with you and around you and in your league that are scouts and coaches and and just about anybody with the organization. And they're watching and you have a better handle on who's who. And some people may have missed it. So I think you're going to see a lot of surprises. And there's going to be kids, like you said. How do I know how a guy's going to respond being a bantam that just missed his first year midget? Oh, sorry, under 18. I'm assuming it's a political correct reason that it's changed. Um, so I'll under 18. I'll have to remember that. I didn't know it till you're just saying it to me. Although yeah. yes, looking yeah. back and you look at elite prospects now and, and it does say that U18 and I was U18. Yeah. 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 I didn't know what that was. Okay. I'm learning. Um, um, so your plans now for the rest of the summer, I know that I'm going to see you uh, here or there. I hope to run into you tomorrow for Canada day. Um, if you haven't told, if you haven't, if you can't tell yet, he's one of my good friends. Um <laughs> That's why I'm so pumped for you. But what? I, I don't know. I know Major Junior on a good year, you got to go back in August 6th or 7th. What's your plan? Yeah, so I'm going to be heading back July 18th. Uh, we, we have a lot of transition things to, to take care of uh, in the dressing room and, and things like that, like uh, to get a lot of consistent messaging that we want to have moving forward. So a lot of things to kind of change around. So to give myself that extra little bit. And, and uh, I'll head back July 18th. Uh, training camp for for new players will start uh, August 16th, and then for returning players in the main camp will be August 21st. Interesting. I know that at the Quebec League, I used to go to camp in, in Tri-Cities at the end of August. I know the queue always starts a little bit early. Yeah, it's the schooling is, is yeah. what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, to each their own. I remember, to be honest, I used to get homesick, but I didn't want to be homesick for camp. So the first year I, I realized my mistake and I ended up ma- forcing myself to go earlier for that reason. Mm-hmm. I like, I like going at the beginning of August. I don't like it that day getting on the plane. I used to be pissed off, but once I got there, I was like, okay, I need it. I need a couple week buffer zone anyway. So I think it's a nice time to start. You've got your few months off as a player. I'm talking and you go in August and it's time to work. Uh, 
Well, that's interesting. So I've just got a few questions left, uh, if you don't mind, Yeti. It's called oh, Fire Randoms. Are you ready? Yes, sir. Okay, let's do it. Uh, what was your favorite national championships that we've both been to? Montreal. Oh, <laughs> no, <fun>. no doubt. <laughs> wasn't that <laughs> fun? Oh, it was my first. It was my first one, and yeah, that one was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. God damn it! I love being back in Montreal. How could yeah, I? Exactly, and that was part of why it was so fun too. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I, and also Peter sharing, City sharing still. And also sharing a room with David Bad Dog Roper. <laughs> that was great. I say to people, you know what? It's like, I, I remember even you guys were surprised. Like, if, all you got to do is play one game of the Canadians, and not that I was looking for status there. This or that, but you know, people just treat you so well. I'm not the kind of guy to knock on the door and say, "Do you know who I am?" But you just like people are like, "Hey, Terry," you know, they, oh, go, yeah. let's go. It's it's like that everywhere. It's such a vibrant place, and once you're there and you make the connection, it's always there. They some of them even have their opinions on me. Well, what the fuck? <laughs> Drafted number eight and only come here, and you know what come on give me a, give me a burger it's all good like well and know. that's and i know i know this is supposed to be the rapid fire round but i mean this is just what happens with with us to start talking but i mean <laughs> i'll always remember from that montreal trip that we went to that bar i, I forget mcgibbons maybe McGibbons. Uh, it was yeah it was uh you know it was, it was a wednesday night i think it was but the lineup was about 100 people up yeah 100 people up. Oh, it was hurley's like, it was hurley's well, like no, it was it was just uh, we, we went to both. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was it, it was another spot, too. Like uh, you could pay twenty dollars, get a glass and just kind of re- refill kind of thing. And it was McKibben's now that you're talking. Yeah. You get a yes, good for, for two people with well, concussions. You, you've you come out with a better memory. <laughs> but I always remember you going up to the bouncer to see if there's any way, because I think a few of the boys were already inside. And sure yeah. enough, right away, the bouncer recognized you. It was just <laughs> like, holy shit, you're Terry Ryan. And for and I remember he said to you, he's like, "Can I get your autograph or something like that?" And you end up having a hockey card in your oh, pocket, yeah. hauling out the hockey card, signing it for Buddy, and we just sailed. Six of us, I think it was, just sailed on past a hundred people, just right inside. And I just never <laughs> forget that. I was like, I "Oh man, got, we're gonna." I carry hockey cards in Montreal, uh, but it, it works, and they're happy oh, to. Yeah. Again, it's the approach too, right? And I find it's funny because. Here, the Montreal Canadiens, I mean, let's be honest, my career didn't pan out like it would have. But the fans there like me and, you know, there was circumstantial. You could you could talk about that all you want. But I find it funny because I would come home to Newfoundland and people almost like pitied me. And I I understand. Right. Because I was the great big hope, you know, so. So like I run into people and, oh, hey, Terry, man, like what happened? It's often that. Whereas even in Habville, where it happened, even in Montreal, where it happened, people are still excited, though. They're like, oh, man, like, oh, yeah, what the fuck? Like, I wish you played a little bit more. But, hey, you're on the Habs. Like, get in here now. How many people do you have? It's wild, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I don't get the feeling up there that I disappointed anybody or any of that. Again, this is not me tripping over my bottom lip. I'm just saying my <laughs> career certainly didn't for a first rounder go the way I wanted it to or they wanted it to. But you'd never know it in Montreal. They're just so proud of anybody that not only did you play, you played for us, for our community. And mm-hmm. uh, I never lost that. And it's wild that of all the places you'd think it would be the opposite. You would think Montreal. But yeah, fans have been nothing but great. And I forgot that story. Thanks for telling me. I didn't forget it. It just seeped out of my mind. As you're saying it now, I remember it like the back of my hand. What wow, a time incredible. we had. Yeah, incredible. Wow. It's supposed to be rapid fire randoms, and it's supposed to be I your know. interview. Uh, favorite NHL <laughs> team growing up? Uh, Colorado. Still, still same. 
Uh, beautiful. Would you go into space if given the opportunity? Absolutely. Is there an Ogopogo, you think, in, in uh, Lake Okanagan? Sure. What's that? Sure. Okay. No idea. <laughs> and really, what is the Ogopogo? It's just yeah, some, exactly. I mean, it could be a, some kind of creature in there. I don't know if it's a monster. You have to go into the wilderness. Okay, so you got to go on a week-long excursion into the wilderness in Wyoming. Who do you take? You got one Justin. person to take with you. Justin Barber. <laughs> ah, great. I was thinking, as I said that, I was thinking, like, which team had I want? And I was, as I was writing it, I said, Justin Barber. So those who don't know, yeah. our buddy was a great hockey player, too. Well, is, but, he, you know, he stopped playing. Oh, yeah, definitely. Incredible. He was a wicked player. You look at him, yeah. they, they tore it up in junior A and everything, played, played senior with him, and he just stopped one day. And he told us he was going to just go by himself with his dog, Saku, and explore Newfoundland. We're like, come on. But now it's on Instagram. It's NL Explorer, Newfoundland Explorer. He's got a YouTube channel. He's really made something out of this. He's got a book. Oh, definitely. Within the last three years, Justin Barber has become this survivalist on an on a international level. Please check it out. He's one of our best buddies. Couldn't be any nicer and uh, really is succeeding. And I got to be honest, I thought at first, I'm like, okay, he's going to find himself or something. Like, you know, what did he go through? <laughs> But no, he was yeah. just interested. He's a great dude. Coffee or tea? Uh, tea. Nick Lidstrom or Ray Bork? Nick Lidstrom. Gretzky or Lemieux? Gretzky. Jordan Tutu or Aaron Asham? Uh, Two great indigenous players that, that are yeah. both bowling balls, little balls of hate. Oh, yeah. They all, I, I loved Tutu from when he played the, the junior, but just Ashram, you got that local connection to having him come here, play with you guys out in Gander. And you know, I'll, I'll go with, uh, I'll go with Ash. And I'm not sure about uh, that's, you know, I love bo watching both those players. I played junior with Ash. I know he had 45 goals two years in a row in the West. And I know Tutu played there. I could just look it up on hockey DB, but um, Tutu was, I don't think he has many goals is what I'm saying, but he was dynamic that, that Halifax, I, I believe it was when he played that world junior. Yeah, I believe so. Wow. Just oh, yeah. A ball of energy. Loved watching yeah. them. All the, all the players on the other teams were on their toes because of it. Would you go to the bottom of the ocean if given the opportunity? No, definitely not. Honestly, that's one of my phobias is, is, is like not knowing like how dark the ocean is. It's, it's, very, it's one of those strange phobias. That's, that's mine. I, I would not you know, know. I never thought about it until <laughs> – a couple times, you know, in the summer, people go, hey, you want to come out cod fishing or whatever? And I've done it. And then once in a while you go out and the land looks like it's getting further and further away. Oh, and yeah. you're like, OK, like I'm looking down. <laughs> I don't see anything. If I was to fall in and they're like, yeah, yeah, like it, it's way, 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 way down there. You're talking like half a kilometer. <laughs> and I'm, oh, whoa. You know, I'm, I'm saying like going out to Flat Rock and swimming in 10 feet of water. Oh, yeah, exactly. Kind of nervous. I know. Well, it's I mean, you you remember going out with the boys, codfish, and you're out by Cape Spear. Yeah. And I never really, like, everybody around me and everybody, everywhere I've gone in Newfoundland and done it, everybody's so at ease. But I often look around and go, like, I, it, the further you get out, I feel like I'm equivalent to, like, floating in a hot air balloon or something above the earth. Like, it, there's almost a fear of heights. Almost. Yo. I can't really explain the fear, but yeah. it, it's similar to the heights. I'm looking, going, 
it's almost scarier not being able to see because like under me down there, there's just so much going on, right? Whales swimming oh, yeah. around too. Right? There <laughs> yeah. might be a whale 300 feet below you. You don't know. Um, it's just, yeah. Who's your favorite Muppet from the Muppet show? Ooh, that's, that's a good one. Grow. You know, Grover? I, no, 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 no. That's, that's Sesame Street. Isn't Grover was on both. Was he? There, no, there was a few man, Muppets I, that went back and forth onto both. Have you ever noticed that? Sesame Street. They did a lot of crossover, but I, I definitely think I'm a Fozzie Bear kind of guy. Fozzie Bear, he was so good. You know what? That's a great answer, and I didn't even really think about it. I didn't think about it. I just went Kermit Grover in my head, Piggy, Fozzie. And he used to get roasted by those two guys. Oh, Stone yeah. Adler, they're yeah. called, uh, after a couple yeah. of new, uh, New York hotels. Senior gave me that. <laughs> information when i was about five years old he used to give me the background on everybody but anyway remember there's a big elmo fan too he's a huge elmo (laughs) fan senior watches the muppet show or um i came in a couple years ago and he was watching looney tunes like there was penny lane wasn't in the house (laughs) he was just watching looney tunes he loves yosemite sam oh and i got to be honest it is funny oh yeah a couple of other great nights uh, in senior's basement around park Yeti, we uh, could have gone off on Seniors Basement because you, you're you're a legend of Seniors Basement and you've seen it enough. Most people know the a lot of fun. the shtick that goes behind Seniors thing. Yeah, a lot oh, of fun. Yeah. Your favorite Jim Carrey movie? Dumb and Dumber. Your favorite, I love that too, uh, makes me laugh a lot. Your favorite jersey in all of sports? Quebec Nordiques. Your favorite athlete in another sport other than hockey? Favorite athlete in another sport other than hockey? That's a really tough question. Wow. And this is supposed to be rapid fire, too. No, it doesn't really have to be. I guess a better answer, a better name for it would be something to do with just like different off the cuff questions or something. I don't really care. We got all the time in the world. Yeah, I know. But that, yeah, that's actually an incredibly incredible. What other sport do you like? I'm, I'm of the four oh, man, like, sports. Like honestly, if if I were to kind of like, I, I'm believe it or not, I'm a huge baseball fan, okay. and I love baseball, and I love the St. Louis Cardinals. And for me, Yadier Molina, like I got his, I got two of his jerseys, and there you go. I'm just like mesmerized by his ability to lead. Like I'm a big leadership person, like the the leaders of teams and, and whatnot. Me too. He, he's definitely going to be a guy that he's going to go to the Hall of Fame. And while he's being inducted into the Hall of Fame, he's going to be a manager in, in Major League Baseball. So for me, and, and longevity of a career to stay with the same team was always something that, you know, was was admirable to me because that's something I always wanted for myself was just to get with a team and just stay with them for as long as you're as long as you're playing, no matter what you have to do to stay with the team is that what you're going to do. So if I were to kind of throw out a throw out an answer now i would definitely say uh, melina i like it well thought out answer and your reasoning was perfect uh the last thing i'm just curious about so you're embarking on your journey now rapid fire randoms i guess is over you're embarking <laughs> on your journey the one thing that's hard about a coach's life is that you know you're going to be moving a lot mm-hmm. so are you and, and lots of times that's fine it's not that you can't live totally normal and have a great family and do all the above, but it is an invested decision more so for a Newfoundlander than anything. Cause you know, 
there's there's a lot of patriotism here. I don't know if people notice that, but you know, for example, there's a Newfoundland bar in every province. I don't go anywhere here and see a Saskatchewan bar. It's just Newfoundlanders have a lot of pride from being from here. And I didn't ask because of that, but it's often the reason that people don't go on and pursue other things away because they love to come home. Uh, and I know that I don't want to get into your personal life, but I know that at some point you might be looking at starting a family. Is that fine moving around? Have you thought that have you taken that into consideration or do you just love the game and you love what you're doing so much that it's not, uh, not a big deal? Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a, a tough question because I was in a relationship for about three and a half years and it was primarily kind of distance. And we decided to take some time apart when I knew I was heading back to Rouen just to kind of figure things out and, and whatnot, because, you know, this is, this is the, the best opportunity for, for, for my coaching career right now, but it was not, an, not a place that I could stay in to make our relationship work. So as of right now, just kind of, focusing on the coaching aspect of, of things. And, you know, it, it's definitely a, a very tough thing because for me, the biggest thing that's in my mind right now is that I have a second chance at hockey. You know, yeah. I, I'll never forget that July in Halifax just finished up my first year at Dalhousie and going to see neurologists and just neurologists saying, I can't, I can't, uh, you know, suggest that you go back and play. I can't recommend you play. Like, so I lost my scholarship, had to move back home. And I remember one of the boys was out in the car waiting for me. I just broke down. I was like, man, I can't believe this. I, for the, for the, you know, 16 years, I was 21 at that point for the 16 years, I've been playing hockey and wanting to play in the NHL. And now some, some doctor, you know, not some doctor, I mean, no, but, but that's you know, your tie at the time. Of course you don't yeah, want to, yeah, I understand. Some, yeah. Some guys tell me that I'm done, that I'm not going to be able to play in the NHL. And now I got this kind of new lease on the game. I got this second opportunity, this second chance to be a coach. And my my main, if you know, you're shooting for the stars, is to be a head coach of an NHL team winning the Stanley Cup. And for you know your your captain to give you that cup, and then to have your family in the stand and power that bad boy up over my head like I'm dislocating both my shoulders. Yeah. And that's and that's the ultimate the ultimate dream I want to have. And you know that. Of course, a lot of small, small dreams and small goals along the way that I'm working at achieving and whatnot. But, you know, that's that's definitely the biggest, biggest goal. And I guess you kind of talk about the family aspect that right now it's a focus on on the career because I'm in a in a great, great spot and let the other side of things kind of play out. But it's definitely a tough balance. And for guys and girls who are able to make it work and, you know, more and more power to them and find a way to balance things, it's, it's definitely tough and you know, just give them a, give them a lot of credit as, as families and as couples for, for finding ways to make it work. Um, yeah. And you know, I, I don't think a lot of players find when they get into their thirties, they're like, you know, they're playing overseas, but they feel like they're kicking the can down the street and they almost want to get back. And for that reason, they don't want to keep traveling with no uncertainty, but I find no matter what you wanted to do, all these things are going on a resume. I mean, you could go for pretty much any job around town and at least in a leadership position and you're qualified for lots. And, you know, you were the head coach of a major junior team. I, I don't think that's going to set you back. So it's not like a this or that right now, the way I would see it is that you're putting hockey first. That might continue for your whole life, but mm -hmm. it's not like you're delaying anything because you're getting valuable experience and all these things that are going on your resume will help you in any job. Um, it should, I mean, being a team player, 
and knowing how to lead and to uh, lead situations and have people listen and get your respect. I mean, that that's just a huge part of life in general and anywhere that I've worked. I can't say that those attributes do, uh, attributes don't um, don't help you and earns positive. So I'm going to leave you. I always leave with song lyrics. And right now I'm going to leave you with these song lyrics, clean shirt, new shoes. And I don't know when I'm going to silk suit, black tie. And I don't need a reason why they come running just as fast as they can. Cause every girl's crazy, but a sharp dressed man, you are moving up in the world. You're a professional guy. You're a head coach now. Not that you didn't wear suits before, but I, I assume now you're just going to be a little bit more sharp dress and I'm pumped. I can't wait to see you in the winter because uh, we should be able to hook up. I should be able to see some games. And Brad, it's been an honor knowing you to this point. We got a lot of life left. Uh, and I'm, I'm very happy for you. Congratulations. Not only are you, uh, you know, a, a real good friend and everything, but as far as this coaching and, and everything, I think a lot of Newfoundlanders look up to you. And a lot of Newfoundlanders now are, are realizing all that, you know, bad luck and, and some things that happen to you can be, if you harness the energy the right way, being, you know, you said you had anxiety and depression. I know what that's like. But once you start harnessing that energy the right way, anything's possible. Congrats. I love where you're at. I hope to see you tomorrow. And uh, good luck this season, buddy. Uh, you've, you've earned it and you're a good friend. Thank you. Thanks, TR, for having me on. Uh, always a pleasure. And I'm sure our paths will cross before I head back in the next couple of weeks for sure. Okay, there you have it. Head coach of Rowan Naranda Huskies, Brad Yetman. Brad's been through a lot and is a very well-spoken, smart individual, one of my friends, and I'm real proud of him, if, uh, if you couldn't tell. So thanks, Brad, and good luck this year. Um, a couple of you have commented on the playoffs so far. Uh, and how unpredictable they can be. But I often get the messages from you guys, and you say that like it's a bad thing. You know, I, I, a lot, again, I'm assuming are Leafs fans, but, you know, Vegas, uh, Winnipeg, there's teams that, well, every team that loses but I'm, I'm just thinking of teams that were rated ahead of the team that they played against. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh don't look so bad now losing to the Islanders, do they? At the time, people were calling for Crosby's and Malkin's head. You got to trade all these guys. Man, they were one goal away from beating Tampa. So I think that's a good thing. Um, I always spoke about it in the NBA. Like that That's my pet peeve is that it's often... It's only going to be the year starts and you know it's one of four or five teams going to win it. That's not the case this year. But that's, some people like that, and that's fine. Ron McLean is actually one of those. Ron, I remember, he loves the dynasties when dominance, you know, give me the best, and I want to see. And, and, and you know, I, I want to watch the best. And there's something to be said for a team that, or, or a league that has four or five uh, great teams or a team of destiny or something. I, I like a bit more parody. But there is an argument, so I do often frame it like it's a, the best thing if anybody can win. And if I do, I guess I apologize. That's my opinion. I guess nothing to really be sorry for, but I didn't really think about it till it got pointed out so much. But yes, 
I like a league that anybody can win. It might be harder to bet on, but you'll win more money if you, if you guess correctly. And I love it about hockey. No one would have picked Montreal to be in the final. Uh, no one would have picked LA Kings in 2010 or 11 to win the cup. Uh, no one would have picked St. Louis. But that's what I love about it. Uh, for, for many reasons, you know, it, it often comes down to a bounce and momentum is huge. A team like Montreal gets momentum and they're in the final. If they, Went the other way with a few games left. They wouldn't even have made the playoffs. Uh, but that's a beautiful part of it. Uh, a lot of questions on Matthews and Mariner. Guys, I think they're going to be fine. I really do. They're young. And, again, you're seeing the Habs in the final. It's unfortunate that the Leafs had such a year, for if you're a Leafs fan, and had to run into them in the first round and all that shit went down. They were up 3-1. I mean, they did better than the other teams did. And I know it was a disappointment, but, I know they'll learn. I, I just, I don't think they were out there trying not to win or you no, know, that's a bad way to put it, but I, I, I don't think they were out there not giving their all. I think it looked like it at times, but I think that was nerves and everything else. I mean, the Marner plays hard. He, he blocks shots and stuff. The playoffs, he did look out of sorts, but you don't know. Maybe he was injured. Mental is a big part of the game too. Maybe he was just psyched the fuck out. But all I know is that watching him play, is a treat and Austin Matthews can really snipe. And I think those things at this point, yeah, they lost. What was that? Fucking two months ago. Just, you know, there is nowhere to go, but, uh, into the next season, um, after a disappointing one, if you're a Leafs fan with optimism and that's it, that's sports though. That's why we love it. And it is unfortunate, but do I think, that they should be traded or you know, sitting back looking at the situation. I think if it happens another year, like it did, it maybe then you start looking at that. But now that the big debacle of sorts is over and, and, and people are calmed down, you got to realize that these guys are in their early twenties and they're going to have another shot at it. And hockey's hockey. That's it. Anybody can win. One of these years, you leave fans. I'd, Hope that it's you guys. And if you guys were in the finals right now, I'd be cheering just like I'm cheering for Montreal. And that might make me a rare kind of a fan, but I really want to see a Canadian team win. And I really like this, that Canada's in and, you know, say what you want. People are interested. And you go out to the bars or the restaurants and people are looking up at the TV and, you know, my phone is going off while the game's on TV and people are commenting. Um and that's pretty good for a pandemic and, and coming out of it and the way it's all been handled. Uh, I think that we're in a decent spot. And I would honestly, I, I really hope the Habs can pull it off. Uh, but if not, I'll be cheering for whichever Canadian team makes it through. I don't judge you for not doing that, but that's my decision. Uh, yeah, that's about it. Wedgwood Cafe. Check it out. Uh, great buddy, Peter Wedgwood. Uh, catering. It's a great spot on Elizabeth Avenue. They also do catering. Green Sleeves, downtown, uptown. I'm at the downtown restaurant most of the time. Pub. Uh, TJ's Patio, of course. TJ's Pub. Some great specials going on all all, uh, all summer. We're going to have people have been asking me in town about George Street Festival. I'm not sure. They might bump it back, uh, given the pandemic regulations. If, 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 you know, if there can be a huge lifting of regulations in August or September, it's my belief that it'll be 
it's usually at the beginning of August is why I say this. I think they'll bump it back. But if not, there's all kinds of great things going on all summer down there. Uh, there's, there's, they're, they're having a Patty's Day weekend, if you can believe that. So that's pretty much George Street Festival right there, isn't it? There's three days of Patty's Day weekend. It's going to be in mid-July. Uh, so think of the party that we have on Patty's Day and think of the George Street Fest. Now marry the two and there's your chaos. But it's going to be fun. We got all the patios now are downtown are just great. They got all the downtown streets about to be closed off tomorrow. And it'll just be walking the pedestrian malls, they call it, with patios everywhere. And I think it's great. Get out if you're from St. John's. Get out, get out, get out, get down there, especially if you got your second shot. Uh, we need to get back and start living and supporting these businesses, man. We really need to do that. And not talking about my own either. I'm talking about my own interests here. I'm talking about all downtown St. John's. I'll I uh, give it to Kim Mount Road in my preamble, but for all that's for better reason. Get out there. Get out to Finn McCool's. Get out to PJ Billington's. It's hard to get into those places. They might be losing business on top of this pandemic. I just mean I'm trying to pick somewhere different every day and try to support them, the, the local places especially. So I encourage people to do that. And I think it's exciting. This is one of the most exciting playoffs I've seen in a while. Congrats to the Habs for even getting where they are. They're down one game to nothing. Uh, and I love Tampa Bay, too. What a great team to watch. But that's it. I'm going to be biased. I'm going to cheer for the Habs. Uh, as far as anything else, this has been... Tales with TR59, Brad Yetman, and uh, shoot me a note. I got to take off. I've got too much to do. I'm moving out, out of my place today, and I'm a guest on another couple of podcasts I'll tell you about soon. I'll post it on my Instagram, Terry Ryan 2020 If you want to follow me on Twitter, Terry Ryan 20 If you want to get a signed copy of uh, Fights, Tales with TR, Fights, Film, and Folklore, and you want a Signed card and a bookmark with it. 25 bucks plus shipping. Trap me down at terryryan2020 at gmail.com. Other than that, happy Canada Day. And uh, have a great one, everybody. See you all next week for episode 60. This has been Tales with TR. I'll catch you all on the rebound. Thanks for listening.